Hello, babes. Welcome to Coffee and Tequila, the show for people who love stories and love storytelling, where you get a morning show on Mondays and a late show on Fridays, if I decide to stay on track. My name is Zach, and as always, this episode is kindly being sponsored by Helix Sleep, and I'll let you know a little bit more about them a little bit later. First, as the title suggests, you clicked on the video or the podcast episode. Um, we're going to be talking about Marilyn Monroe's famous, most famous dress in American history, or of the world, I don't know, let me know, the uh, the famous JFK dress she sang happy birthday to the president in. Uh, it's the dress that's actually been in, in, in conversation a lot recently because Kim Kardashian wore it to the Met Gala. I will say, I already had this episode planned before she wore that dress to the Met Gala, so when she did, I was like, shit. Um... Now it just looks like I'm bandwagon hopping because everybody's talking about it now. But really, the truth was, my inspiration for this was I just bought a like a catalog set from the 2016 Julian's Auctions uh, auction. Like it was like a three day auction that they sold off a bunch of Marilyn Monroe stuff. And in in, in the auction on one of the days, they sold uh, her a uh, JFK dress for about almost $5 million to Ripley's, believe it or not. And so uh, one of these catalogs pretty much covers that whole thing it covers the dress the receipts from that weekend sketches from Bob Mackie and this this catalog this neat little catalog actually has a little gimmick I want to show y'all so I didn't know it did this but when you open it up it's got like a little song in it opens up and you can hear you can hear the audio from it for this episode because alistair still ain't here i'm gonna have paul walsh from the valley of the dolls podcast come on and talk about this iconic event with me uh paul is amazing the valley of the dolls podcast is one of my favorite podcasts and i'm really happy that he agreed to come on this with me uh, i've been listening to it for about a year and it covers everything old hollywood like he's it's old hollywood galore you know he this is right up his alley i know he's going to come in with all of the facts which makes me a little bit nervous because i'm very confident with my knowledge about marilyn monroe and her life and career but this is a podcast he does this is the niche you know this is he he he, he focuses on these things specifically so um i'm nervous that i'm not gonna have all of my information right i've made all of my notes i've read a couple books i i did the research and I'm like, oh my shit. Well, what if I say this is like 1962 and it's like 1961? Or, or it's I say, oh, it's May whatever. And he's like, no, actually, it's May 2nd. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I guess we'll just be comparing notes. We'll be comparing information and details. Uh, neither of us were alive then. So if he schools me, then I guess I can just say, sir, you were not even alive. So, but I'm actually really excited to have him on. I just, I, I adore his podcast. So yeah, without any further ado, let's go into the ad real quick. Let's hear a little word from our sponsor and then we'll get into the episode and I'll bring him home. Now it's time to tell you all a little bit about our sponsor for today's episode, Helix Sleep. Helix is a premium mattress and a box company that makes beds to fit your unique sleep style. Feels like it's day 97 sleeping by myself with that Alistair in the bed next to me. It's a king-size bed, so it's a pretty big bed to sleep in by myself with just Brando. So our Helix mattress, I'll be really excited when he comes back and falls into it with me and takes a big old nap with me. Uh, we love our Helix mattress. It's the most comfortable mattress we've ever had. We had one mattress that we got from like Amazon when we first got married, and it was terrible. And I think Helix mattress was the very next mattress that we got. We got the queen-size Midnight Lux mattress. Ended up upgrading to a king-size Midnight Lux mattress, and it's just perfect. Helix knows that everybody is different and everybody has their own unique needs and so they've made a sleep quiz that'll match you with your perfect mattress based on your needs. 
I am an all-over sleeper. Alistair's more of a side sleeper. He likes a fur mattress. I like, uh, you know, more medium. We took the quiz together, and we got the Midnight Mattress. And one of the best parts about Helix is that they deliver the mattress right to your door for free. It comes rolled up in a box and is super easy to set up yourself. And if it makes you nervous to buy something online that you haven't tried, Helix has a 100-night sleep trial, so you get more than three months to make sure that you absolutely love it. And if you don't, they'll pick it up for you and you'll get a full refund. Now, if you or somebody you know is in the market for a new mattress and you think that Helix might be right for you, you can go to helixsleep.com tequila and you can get up to $200 off of your mattress and two free pillows. We're back. I am back with Paul Walsh of the Valley of the Dolls podcast. Do you want to describe the podcast? It was a lockdown project, right? So okay. I just wanted to talk about the things that I liked to listen to, really. But it's mm -hmm. it's uh, it's basically talking about the careers of old Hollywood actresses, uh, yeah. looking at specific areas of their work. Um, so thinking about previous episodes, we've obviously got some Marilyn on there, Judy Garland, Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, all the usual suspects. Um, and it really is a mix between sort of audio essays, which is usually me talking for a long period of time with uh, some clips interjected. Um, but then again, just conversations really similar to this one uh, with, yeah. with lots of different people. Very cool. Very cool. Who's your who's your favorite that you've done so far or that? You, that uh, you want to, who's your favorite of all time that like, like you can watch uh, every documentary about every book, every you have to pick something. <laughs> I can't pick favorites. Um, okay. Do you know what? It was it was Judy Garland was the first one. But yeah, Mar Marilyn's pretty much up there as well. As cliche yeah. as that sounds right. <laughs> and, and it is cliche, but it's just so true. Right. Like there's so much, especially when there's like a plethora of, of material out there to like consume. I have read. I mean, I don't, I don't even have as many books as you have right there, but I've read like three or four biographies on her and, you know, details change from book to book. And I feel like every yeah. book I find new stuff, you know, um, yeah. they're always changing dates. They're always changing details. We never really, so I'm hoping that the story we kind of put together today is, is accurate, but it's anybody's guess. What, what source did you sort of use to uh, put your information together here? <laughs> Well, it's a bit of a mixture, really. So um, there's a couple of sources that I would always go to. So Michelle Morgan, uh, she's a British author. She's wrote a couple of books on Marilyn. Um, she's actually just wrote one quite recently called Marilyn the Queen, which is about her time in London. But her approach is really as a historian. So she you know, she's not necessarily about the, you know, the rumors and the controversies as such. So mm -hmm. it's pretty much based in fact. Um, I've got a couple of connections that I've kind of spoken to online who I value their opinion probably a lot more than I would value my own. So yeah. it's just a mixture of that, really. Um, I don't tend to trust what Google or Wikipedia tells me, um, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're the main ones. Yeah. Okay. So I, I did two. Um, and then I went off of the, have you ever seen the, the documentary about her called Marilyn, the final days? And it's all about yeah. like the making of, uh, that's one of my favorite documentaries of all time. Like I think it's so good. Um, yeah. and we won't, we won't really cover the making of like something's got to give as much. We'll touch on it and we'll talk about it a little bit, but for anybody out there who like really wants something good. So and it's I seen it for the footage, isn't it? It's worth the actual yeah, footage yeah. of the film. Cause no one saw was it that the years. first documentary that used that footage too? I think they, they found it, right? Or I think it had been used in like the early nineties. Okay. It was like, but it was really, really bad quality. Um, okay. And I think they would, that was the first documentary that kind of put it together in a mm. decent format and actually pieced together what the film 
could have potentially looked like. Yeah. Um, but like the, the raw footage of that is um, really interesting to watch. There's loads of it on YouTube as well. Um, as I was reading through um, some of the doc- these these documentaries, they were bringing up cer- certain scenes that I'd forgotten about that they'd filmed because they had her filming with like a dog. You know, the, every anytime they would get her to sit, they would have her filming something weird like with the kids or the dog. And um, so I just sat there and watched like nine minutes of her just with the dog. And I was like, this is wonderful. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they couldn't get her on the set and the dog wouldn't cooperate. <laughs> So it wasn't exactly uh, the best use of time. She's freaking happy about it too, though, because she didn't have to do whole much. Um, so I used primarily Marilyn Monroe, the biography by Donald Spoto. And then, uh, what is it called? The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe, which is very, very gossipy. This is one that's kind of been written off a little bit just because of how gossipy it is. But I'm going to go with it anyway because I liked some of the facts in it. And uh, it, it, I, I balance between wanting just hardcore facts all the time, all the time, all the time, and then like a narrative, right? And like some storytelling yeah. and, and like um, Joyce Carol Oates has a book called Blonde that's all about her. But like she like – she she did her research, but it's it is a novel, you know. It's like imagining yeah. what happened and and how she what she was thinking and all of that. Yeah, well, a novel as well because then you can say that it's a work of fiction, so then you're mm-hmm. not going to get the pressure of actually if you get something wrong. And yeah. to be honest, it's re- I mean, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because obviously that's coming to Netflix, isn't it? Towards the back end of the year, yeah, um, a lot of uh, interesting press at the minute. It's, it was um it was delayed for ages. I mean, they filmed it. Um, I think. The, the, before the pandemic actually yeah. there's been a lot of issues that pushed it back but that'll be interesting i feel like um, that one's been in production forever too like they had so many different actresses attached to it at one point or another what do you think like what, do you, what wants, do you think about the casting they went with do you know what i haven't seen the only uh is it, is it anna diamas is that yes. how that's her name yeah, yeah so she, I've seen it. I've seen her in James Bond, and she's in it for like ten minutes, and she's just yeah. fighting people with a machine gun. So I don't really know much about her range, but it's quite an interesting choice to think it about is. how she would pull this off. We're going to be talking primarily about the the Marilyn Monroe JFK dress, the dress she wore to sing Happy Birthday to John F. Kennedy. Uh, this is this is this is like the most famous dress in America, right? This is the dress that sold for the most money, like ever, even even today um what was it it was like yeah. 4.8 million dollars it was almost five million dollars this damn dress sold for um yeah and then it's been in the news a lot lately because miss kim kardashian took it off the rack and, and wore it down the, the <laughs> red carpet of the gala what do you think about that we're gonna just go ahead and start oh, here you know well actually i heard a rumor that it was i think i read something on like twitter or something like that that it was going to happen i thought no like it's not yeah. next day i woke up and i just saw it and i thought my god it, do you know what? Yeah, I, I'm not going to sit here and badmouth the Kardashians. Like they are what they are, and they've got money, and it, it just it, Ripley's, believe it or not, own it. So I don't really have a huge amount of faith that they're going to approach it from a, a historical artifact. It's, it's a money making machine, right? And anything attached to Monroe is all about publicity and money. Um, I I don't think it was great. Did you see her getting into it? Did you see the video of her like? <laughs> I and I saw okay. it. So I saw them. They're, they're like pulling it up they're like fully with their hands just like fully pulling it up and then she by the time she wore it down the because that was the first fitting right and it was like it didn't yeah. fit so she had to lose like 16 pounds and then she came back and it fit the it fit but it didn't fit because in the back she had to wear that she had to wear that stole because it wouldn't fit in around her ass it reminded me of like white chicks you know when you, you go to the like <laughs> dressing room and comes out in the outfit it's like she wanted to wear it so bad she would have starved herself but the thing is and obviously we'll, we'll, we'll get to it but this that dress was 
like made bespoke to fit Marilyn yes. Monroe. Now you can dye it all you want, but you are not going to have the same proportions. I mean, I think I, I think Kim Kardashian is like five foot two, yeah. and Marilyn Monroe was correct me if I'm wrong, five foot four and a half or something. So that's why she was wearing those like stripper heels, like to literally like, get yes. some like height. So the whole thing was just. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, she she obviously wanted to do it, but I just think it, it probably wasn't the wisest thing to do from a preservation perspective. So there's a theory that she didn't actually wear it and that that was a replica and that that was done to, to incite some controversy and get a little bit of press for her and for Ripley's, believe it or not, because I'm sure that Ripley's, you know, attendance records went up after that. Um, yeah. I have... I have a buddy who has a podcast called Beyond the Blinds, and they asked somebody who does like fashion for a living if 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 that was the real dress. And I I did a lot of comparing because I I got a little bit more heated than I should have. Right? It's something that like literally if it doesn't affect my life at all. And if, well, there's bigger problems <laughs> in the world, but I I got a little heated about it. Um, and so I was like comparing pictures. I'm like, okay, that beat is there. That one's there. I was like very much lining all the beads up and they line up. Um, so if it's a replica, it's really good. But this is, so this, this uh, woman who gave a quote to their podcast basically said that uh, it just doesn't make sense for that to happen. One, because they would have to like literally pull it up and stuff like that, that the dress is so old that the fabric would be falling apart. Um, if they're pulling on it, stretching on it, that the, the beads would be everywhere. And it just didn't make sense that that would be really happening. So I don't know how I feel about it. I, I'm like on the fence, whether it really happened or not. Um, yeah. I mean, she, she pissed a lot of people off with it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, who, who, who knows? Um, but I yeah. think, yeah, I mean, she obviously had that mink, uh, the, the stole around her backside. So you couldn't yeah. see it, but she, like, she couldn't move in it. So even if yeah. it was a replica, it was a really ill fitting replica because she could barely get up the stairs. But then mm-hmm. actually the pictures that I saw afterwards when she was at the event, she looks much more comfortable. So I think the theory is she walked into the red carpet with the dress yeah. on barely fitting her. Got That's to the what top she of the said, right? and changed. Yeah, as as after the carpet is, she took it off and she went and put on a replica because I know that Ripley's has like one or two replicas with them. So I wonder if she had one made. She should have just had one made for her own body, right? We would have understood it. We would have understood what she was doing, and it would have fit her exactly like it would have fit Marilyn, you know? Um, yeah. And people would still would have talked about it. Yeah, but I think it's that whole thing, isn't it? Like nobody's worn it since Marilyn wore it. And mm. clearly she's obviously a fan. I mean, she's, uh, I think yeah. she has a couple of her other dresses or some other, uh, she has Elizabeth Taylor's jewelry. So mm-hmm. she's obviously into that kind of uh, thing and she's got the money to do it. So Yeah, she posted another picture wearing the green uh, dress from the Golden Globes that Marilyn attended. And I know that one I is believe a it's her. That wasn't real. Yeah, that, that was not real. That no was a way. replica. Absolutely. Yeah, because Mar- Marilyn, I mean, obviously we'll talk, I'm sure we'll get to it in a second. You know, Marilyn, at this point was she was really thin like she yeah. has this um perception of oh she was plus size but she, she really wasn't and especially yeah. at this time i think she was the thinnest she'd ever been so you know kim kardashian does not have the same shape as marilyn monroe so yeah this was the thinnest that she'd ever been so marilyn was basically coming back she'd just come back from new york she spent a little bit of time in new york and uh was like kind of challenging herself over there you know she was getting in theater she was taking these theater classes and these acting classes as somebody at her height who'd been in the business for 10 years already listen her films had grossed 200 i thought this was i'd never read this fact before her films grossed 200 million dollars by the time of her death that's two billion dollars 
in today's money. Like that's insane. No, and when you think about it in, in you know in comparison how much she was actually paid for those films, I mean she was never a money motivated person, and actually she probably got the bad end of the stick. And and what's ironic is that she continues to be monopolized financially mm-hmm. for things like what we've just talked about there and with Ripley's. So yeah, she's she's always been someone who can. Uh, make a lot of money but unfortunately didn't make a huge amount for it herself she she gets back to hollywood she's you know kind of getting her career back on track and uh she'd been out for for about a year right um she yeah. comes back in and fox immediately signs her you know they they want her they need they need money fox needs money because they have miss elizabeth taylor running the running the circus over in where were they by now either rome or london well, I think they started in, in London initially, yeah. and then she had the uh, the life threatening pneumonia, mm-hmm. and then they moved it to a warmer climate. But yeah, she yeah. was getting paid a million a million dollars a million for that dollars. film. Yeah. Which she actually came out with. I'm sure she came out with something way more because she even had written into the contract that they used a certain type of camera that she now inherited yeah. through her, like one of her husbands who died, so that she yes. she, she was making a fortune. She also had it written in that if they went over over uh time she gets paid extra so she, <laughs> and she went over time because of her own damn self and she's still getting paid like so much more money how can you ask for overtime when you're getting paid a million dollars it's a bit cheeky isn't it right it, it's it's insanity but she could do it you know and then you have marilyn monroe with, who, who's arguably like the same sort of caliber actress that she, elizabeth taylor would have been right elizabeth taylor maybe had some more serious roles under her belt and marilyn was still being looked at like you know this this dumb blonde but i think the big, the big difference is is you know um marilyn was actually still part of the studio system whereas elizabeth yes. taylor had actually just broken free of that so that was the huge thing at the time you know stars could literally command salaries like Elizabeth Taylor when they were mm-hmm. working as an independent agent. So Marilyn had actually, uh, re- her contract had basically been renegotiated in 1955. So, you know, where she was in 1962, you know, she was still Owen Fox films yeah. on her old rate from, say, seven years before. So she was actually delaying producing some of these yeah. films because she she didn't really want to. She didn't really like the material that they were making her do. And she, I mean, she she knew how to kind of get back at them. She would, she would act up a little bit. She'd be a little bit late. Yeah. So like this this movie, they get um, something's got to give into production. And I was reading in in one of these books that I was covering that um, that that's not even a movie that really would have made it past like an idea stage, <laughs> just because it the the concept was just not even. You know, it, it wasn't going to make a huge boatload of money, but they needed just something. They needed money. They had Marilyn Monroe. They knew they could make a dollar on it, and so they put this into production. They really rushed it. They never had a finished script, so they Marilyn gets a lot of flack for being late, holding up production, and I, I agree. She did do all of that, right? She she was she's a yeah, problem child. Yeah. But they didn't yeah. have a they didn't have a finished script. They didn't even have all of the roles cast at this point, you know. Um, yeah. So I think all of the pieces were kind of shaky everywhere, and it, but it like fell on her because she was the big name, right? Yeah, and I think like what's interesting is actually one of her earlier films, Let's Make Love, which is quite mm-hmm. similar to Somebody's Got to Give. It was directed by George Cukor. It was a Fox production. It was also being filmed without a finished script, and actually when it got released it was a huge loss yeah. for her and actually the the critics were absolutely savage to her, you know during that so i can understand why she would have gone into this production thinking okay i've i've, I've been here before same studio same director same kind of mm-hmm. script same situation so yeah she probably was approaching with caution and you know she was 36 so she turned 36 yeah. on that set which 
again, I think an interesting point to note is, you know, over 35 for a woman in Hollywood at that time was considered old and over 40 was like your grandma. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. you know, she was probably thinking there isn't too many chances that I've got left necessarily to get it wrong. And she was incredibly self-conscious about everything at this point, right? The older she got, she was yeah. getting even more self-conscious and she had, she was hiring a, uh, Paula Strasberg to be her acting, like her onset acting coach and her like her guide, her little, the buzzer in her ear. What, what did your book say about Paula Strasberg? Because I have one book that was like completely trashing her and then one that was like, she was a really good influence on Marilyn. I think it is. I think she was annoyance to anyone except Marilyn, but I think Marilyn leaned on her really heavily from a confidence yeah. perspective. I mean, prior to working with Paula Strasberg, she had an acting coach called Natasha Lites, who actually basically she, I believe that she worked with her from the late forties all the way up until sort of the, the sort of mid fifties, really. So she'd always needed those, was needed that extra security from a coach yeah. that was working solely for her. I think she probably trusted the acting coach more than the director because she knew the acting coach was trying to get the best out of her performances, yeah. just getting getting the film done. And but she she just really wanted to be good. I think that's just what she she yeah. just more than anything she wanted somebody to say that she's really good, right? And not in a really good like, yeah. oh, your body is like snatched right now. You're wearing that outfit really good. They wanted she wanted somebody to say, look, you did this scene with the dog, fantastic, oh, amazing, amazing scene, yeah. Um, yeah. Amazing acting here. Uh, so she goes into this film, and immediately before she even begins filming, she has it. Uh, sh she lets everybody know, "Hey, I got to sing at the president's birthday gala on May nineteenth. I'm just letting everybody know. Write it out. Don't yeah. schedule me. Don't." And, um, and she also has. So I, I found this really interesting that in all of her contracts, she had a clause in there that she didn't have to work when she was on a menstrual cycle, and so that that menstrual cycle had it already fell on may 19th anyway so they they wouldn't have been able to film anyway um so she goes into into production on this movie and everybody knows that she's going to be gone may 19th nobody like expected all of the delays that were going to happen fairly but they, they probably <laughs> should have really uh, let's yeah. be honest i mean she probably. didn't have a great track record and uh, you know she's you know george cuker had worked with her before yeah. but i think the difference here was that actually there was so much financial pressure on the studio at that time yes. whether they expected it or whether they didn't the, mm -hmm. the money people wherever were saying this can't happen i don't know if it was actually written into a contract or whether it was a verbal agreement but like you said she did have the agreement to go but then you know she didn't show up for like the first yeah. three weeks of shooting and they filmed what they could around her. They probably have to assume that she, in addition to being nervous about her performance and really wanting to do good, if she's slurring, she probably knows she was slurring and she probably didn't want to go out there when she was slurring. So she like hopped in a fucking car, took off back <laughs> to her house in Brentwood and said that she was sick. Right. And she just didn't, didn't show up. Um, she worked. Well, how many, it was like one day that she worked up until. Yeah. I mean, yeah. She, she didn't work. She didn't work a huge amount of days. And I think what the, I believe that she had bad bronchitis or she had a really bad like, sinus infection or something. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem with Marilyn is that she was so aware of actually a great deal of, you know, how she performs ultimately yeah. depended on how well she looked. So she's like, you know, I can't go in there looking like crap basically yeah. because that's going to be reflected in, in on screen. And um, you know what? She was getting to a point where her last film, The Misfits, and then a previous film, Let's Make Love, and to an extent, yeah. Some Like It Hot, the, the, the media and the critics had actually been quite harsh on her physical appearance in those yeah. films. So you've got to think, is that something, again, that's playing on her mind when she's, you know, she doesn't want to film when she's feeling 
ill, really. Absolutely. She didn't, she, she was losing sight of the fact that she was Marilyn Monroe, right? Like yeah. she didn't have people telling her that she didn't have people reminding her like, Hey, you're a baddie. Like you're that bitch. You are Marilyn Monroe. I guess we should back up a little bit. And she met JFK in what March they is when they're sort of relationship started their little fling that was always rumored that was March, right yeah and you know i've seen so, there's so many conflicting rumors like this mm-hmm. is an absolute rabbit hole in itself isn't it because i was yes. thinking about this earlier you know once you start peeling back the layers it's like what do you believe what do you not believe personally i think there's a lot of conspiracy that's a lot of crap <laughs> to be honest with you because it's re- but equally it's really really hard to prove or equally disprove right you yeah. can't prove what the, what's not there um but yeah i think there was definitely meetings with um jfk there was definitely yeah. meetings with the candies but i think that was probably more of an affiliation with peter lawford and kind of frank sinatra and that type of crowd I, I think they probably had a couple flings i think the the story about them at bing crosby's house the, uh, the first time they would have hooked up i think that's probably true um yeah i believe those witnesses i don't believe see then it goes like you take one little morsel of something right and then everybody blows it up and like he's passing him passing her off to his brother right and they're like she's going b- between yeah. rooms or you know there, there's all these different uh, rumors uh, I think it was probably a a sexual affair and I think she probably fell for it a little bit more if it did happen I could see her falling for it a little bit more because between March and May like it's only a couple months that's not even like a whole two months you know um, so you're at that point if you are sort of infatuated with somebody it's still burning bright you know and so she's yeah. going to make sure she's at this happy birthday event she's going to make sure she's there for her man and wanting to like impress him and and all of that um and so when when you know May 19th rolls around she she tells everybody hey i think she and she went to work you know up up that week <laughs> She worked that yeah, week. She, she was, um, at, she, and, and that's why they didn't want it to get it to stop. Yes. I don't think they were like, <laughs> they were she like, said, right, you know what? I, roll. I think I'm better. I can work for this week. But remember, remember, I'm gone at the end of the week. Um, so by the time by the time this rolls around, they're like four days behind behind schedule. You know, they they've shot everything they can, just like you said. Um, and she said, I am jetting off May 17th. May 17th comes, and she she does leave, and immediately it's like an hour after she leaves because they they were telling her they were getting to her people. Hey. Tell her that if she goes, she's going to be fired. It didn't actually quite get a fire, but it definitely mm-hmm. put the, I think it was yes. the final straw that kind of brought the camels back because she did return to the set after. Yeah. Um, she obviously filmed that nude scene afterwards, uh, which I always think is quite interesting because, uh, yeah, most of the footage that we actually see from that film was filmed after the happy birthday, yeah. but it was literally two weeks um, before obviously yeah. she was let go from the film. But she gets to New York and they like serve her with that, with that, those, that paperwork, like really fast. And it is telling her, Hey, there's going to be dire consequences. If you do not, sh- if you, you get your ass back here, like we need to film, um, you are, are such a nuisance on the set. We're not being, you know, we're losing all this money. Cleopatra is driving us crazy. Uh, is they were, they were putting the pressure on her and she was, she was pretty pissed too. When she, when she got that, I, I would have to imagine that she would not only be pissed that they would even send her that knowing that they had this agreement already and that she expected them to honor it, even if she hadn't showed up. Um, but her yep. people as well, right? Why weren't her people fielding this and like handling this for her? Um, because that's yeah. what they're hired I- for. Exactly. And I think it goes back to what you just said, you know, a while back around how much money she'd actually made that studio versus what how they were treating us. So I think she was always on the back foot at this point with Fox because she instantly felt that they 
Well, she felt like they hadn't really respected her. So this was yeah. one thing that she'd agreed to. This is one thing that she was going to do. So I think she wasn't going to be bullied into going, and actually, yeah. you know, getting her on a film set when she didn't want to be on a film set, let's be honest, you weren't going to get her there. Oh, no, not, <laughs> so, at all. not at all. So she, she, she wasn't about to head back. And, and understandably so. Like, I, I get it. It's a pain in the ass. You're losing all this money. It's just going down the drain, you know. Henry Weinstein was, was like, probably p- pulling his hair out, getting all these calls from his financiers in New York. Um, but imagine how, how shitty she'd been treated in Hollywood for about 10 years, yeah. right? Like, does that make somebody want to go on and sit on a set with everybody else? No. And then she knows this movie's going to come out, and she's going to get all these reviews, especially after the, the last couple of movies that came out. I think she knew her own power to an extent, mm-hmm. in a similar way to what Elizabeth Taylor uh, knew her power, just to kind of compare them. At the end yeah. of the day, um, ultimately what happened was they did fire her, but I don't yeah. really think she thought that they would um, because they, they needed her to make money. She, she's really nervous about this performance as well, right? Again, like she doesn't really have anybody telling her, like, you're Marilyn Monroe, like boss up, bitch. Uh, yeah. So she's she's rehearsing the entire way there. She gets she gets to New York. Richard Adler comes over, who's who's written like a little a little version of Happy Birthday and uh, Thanks for the Memory. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he writes like a little version of like Thanks for the Memory, and so they're rehearsing it at her white piano that Mariah Carey now owns. Just like the history there, oh, right? Oh, no. Uh, <sighs> I, wish, I wish it was rich. I'd spend all my money on like celebrity memorabilia. <laughs> but that's what scares me. It's like the you can just have money and you can just buy these things and yeah. you can just sit in like Marilyn's clothes if you want yeah. to in your own house. You know, it's, it's, yeah. oh, God, don't even get me started on that. I just think I trust Mariah with the piano, though. She has it behind this like velvet rope that nobody's allowed to cross. So I, I trust her, her there. I trust it's okay. It's okay. At least that's just one that's person. Fine. But so the, yeah, they're they're rehearsing for like three hours. Um, he is kind of getting a little nervous because she's like really sexing this up, right? Her rehearsals are really sexy, and with each each time she sings it, she's getting sexier and sexier, and her voice is coming lower, and she's like getting a lot more breathy. Um, even Paula Strasberg is telling her like, "This is becoming a parody. What is what? What are you doing here?" Um, everybody's yeah. telling her it's way too sexy. I think. Uh, Adler even calls JFK himself and says, hey, uh, she's going to do this like really sexy. And, and I think JFK just says, sounds good to me. And the thing is, like, you know, you mentioned the rehearsal, like Marilyn, if you mm-hmm. think about it, like she wasn't someone who went on TV. She, there's no, apart from she did a person to person interview in 1955, which wasn't that yeah. great, but she was somebody who didn't like, she was very nervous about making public appearances because yeah. the whole persona that was Marilyn Monroe was actually quite well-crafted and put mm-hmm. together. It wasn't necessarily what she was like uh, all the time. So if you think about how many takes she required on a movie set, if you go out into uh, Madison Square Garden, you've got one chance and you're on TV. Yeah. So she, probably really, you can tell why she'd be nervous about that she was making sure that it was going to be but you know what it was also really interesting is that is that okay so she was trying to divorce herself from this like dumb blonde role for the longest time but this was she this was her like fully pulling that back out of the out of the box she'd put it in and put it under the bed right like she was fully taking this role back out and she was really really leaning into it i think um, this was a a time that she I think it's so significant because she was wielding that dumb blonde role and really using, utilizing it to her advantage and really taking control of it and taking agency over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think 1962 as, as, a, as an actual year really is really interesting in her mm-hmm. 
I guess, her life and her career, because in the years prior to that, she'd really tried to move into another direction. And actually the two years before that, she'd been pretty much having to, she made the misfits and let's make love and then didn't do anything at all. So this was kind of a year, like you said, where she was really trying to say, okay, so what does the next decade look like for me? Um, She looks different. She'd lost weight. Um, And like you said there, she was trying to kind of take ownership, I think, of what people expected her to be really. Yeah. And she was, if she was, like, I guess this goes back to JFK, if there was a relationship there, if there was an affair there, and the, the rumor was that he had tried to end it before this this event, right? And he'd called her and told right. her this was over. And so she, if that was true, she's definitely leaning into it to try to uh, get sort, sort of advantage, right? Get him to look at her a little bit. And that's just, it's so relatable too, because when somebody, somebody really like, really remember a relationship that, that you're, really got your heart broken or something or there's somebody you're really infatuated with and you want them to look twice at you this is exactly what she's doing here and like i see it i see it yeah yeah and you know what you know let's just say say for example that is the the truth i mean what a great kind of like fuck you basically to sit there and like and 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 do that because knowing that his wife wasn't she i mean jackie wasn't actually at the event but she was watching the whole world was watching so there's always going to be that kind of speculation but whether that was actually the truth who knows? I think that I don't know. I think that's pretty interesting that Jackie wasn't there. I think that that spoke volumes. This was it's and it's it wasn't unusual for her to like skip a little something. You know, she I think they said she had an equestrian event to go to, and so she was going for that. But this was a big event. This was a big something to skip. Yeah, but you know what's interesting as well is actually you know on the program only Happy Birthday was included, so it didn't yeah. actually say Marilyn Monroe. So. Obviously, it was all prearranged as a surprise, which she mm. may or may not have been privy to. But yeah, it does seem odd that you wouldn't be at your husband's 45th birthday. Um, I would have to imagine that even if it wasn't advertised everywhere, Jackie knew about it. So Jackie knew all of his like little, little, you know, whore, whorings around. Um, she knew that he was he was out with all of these different women. I think she was just okay with like just accepting it and, and letting it go as long as he wasn't like going to make a fool of her in public. Um, and I think when yeah. Marilyn came and there was those rumors going around um, that that did get back to her and that that really pissed her off. And then if she would have known that Marilyn was going to be there and then she would have had people telling her like what was going to happen. That Marilyn's going to sing happy birthday that she might be singing it too sexy. And I, I imagine that she was like, fuck that. I'm not going to be there. Like, yeah, no, that's not happening. I'm not sitting there. And she didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think Marilyn did receive a letter on April the 11th from her, mm-hmm. uh, like the special assistant to JFK. So his people knew that she was coming and it was all well arranged. Yeah. So I imagine she would have probably been quite privy to what was going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so they, there, there's, there's like two parts to this gala, right? Uh, the people who pay like a thousand dollars, which is however much money in, in today's money. Um, is they they all get to go to like a, a dinner, a special gala dinner for like an hour and a half with the, with yeah. the president, and then afterwards everybody's going to gather at, at Madison Square Garden. So Marilyn skips the the dinner because she's got to get ready. You know, she's trying to get into the stress and everything. Um, and then later shows up to Madison Square Garden where there's about twelve to fifteen thousand people attending. Like the exact number that yeah. the record is not there, but it's between twelve and fifteen thousand people. It's a lot of people. Um, yeah, and on television as well, obviously. Yes, yes, which is so weird that we haven't seen the entire, like, the entire event, because it was televised, it was, like, people watched it, there's a copy of it somewhere, but... Yeah, and, like, it's so poor as well, the quality of it, I mean, yeah. there's certain restorations that are on YouTube, I, I saw something on YouTube, actually, when I was looking at this, and there's some ref, uh, color footage, which is actually quite mm-hmm. interesting to look at, but, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's not as clear as what you would imagine for that, mm-hmm. that period of time. 
And there was a lot of celebrities here. So, like, there was a singer, uh, Ella Fitzgerald was there. Um, she had been there last year. Peggy Lee, Bobby Darin, Donna Carroll, uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine. I don't know who Elaine May is. Um, <laughs> Elaine May were comedians <laughs> of the night. Actors Henry Fonda, Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine was, like, new in her career, too. Like, she was just an up-and-comer right there. Um, Harry, yeah. Henry, uh, Harry Belafonte, uh, Elliot Reed. Like, there was just, it was star-studded. Um, there were dancers from the ballet. There were opera singers. It was it was a big event. At about the two hour mark, uh, it's time for Marilyn to come out, and so they they like rehearsed a little something because everybody it was the running good joke that she was going to be late. Right, everybody already knows yeah. this. If you've seen this video, uh, uh, Peter Lawford comes out and he introduces her and he introduces her about twice, and you know the spotlight comes on the music, the drum roll comes, and she doesn't show up. I thought this was really good. Actually, it's like a really good entrance. Yeah. I was I was really happy. And it, and, it, and it was planned and. and that's the yeah. thing, isn't it? People think that it wasn't and that she was drunk, but this was obviously, you know, they'd rehearsed it, so they yeah. knew it was going to happen. And she comes out really cheeky, too. Like, she she knows. She knows. Uh, she can barely walk <laughs> in this damn dress. Um, about, she, she's introduced about twice, and then... Uh, while he's giving her compliments, he's like he's like extending all of the compliments he can give her. He's like the most beautiful, the most this, the most that, and then she just starts coming out. Um, as 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 you know, perfect as she can be, and he calls her. He says the late Marilyn Monroe, which is a little prophetic there. Um, yeah, and she uh, comes out in the she comes out in this this. Let's describe this dress for a little bit. Let's stop on the dress since the whole episode is about the dress. It's, it's, I think it's one of the most famous because, you know, the okay. designer, so it was, it was John Louis, uh, the dress, yeah. and he, he'd actually been creating similar things for Marlena Dietrich um, yeah. on, on tour in the 50s. Mm -hmm. um, but even if you go back to the 20s, and actually, uh, interestingly, when Marilyn uh, was in Some Like It Hot, she had yeah. some of these nude dresses uh, which were designed by uh, some guy called Ori Kelly. He was actually, yeah. did, I think he did a lot of designs for Betty Davis at Warner Brothers but um, yeah it wasn't a new thing but I think just the way that she walked onto that stage and because of the platform and because it was yeah. her I think yeah. for some reason it's just kind of stuck a little bit more um, as being kind of one of the first but it was uh, it wasn't one of the first but it's probably one of the most famous okay. and it really just I think it was just all of the elements combined right the fact that it was so skin tight because it was this was yeah. every curve that she had this dress fit to she had to be it did have a zipper and it had clasps but they sewed her into this to make sure yeah. it was like hugging every single curve um, I got like three different answers on what kind of material it was I saw souffle gauze souffle chiffon or Marquisette fabric. I'm not a designer. I don't work with any of this. So I'm going to go with something souffle <laughs> since there was like a couple mentions of that. Um, souffle yeah. gauze was was eventually outlawed because it was very flammable. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad. Okay. I, just, I mean, they walk around with a cake full of, full of candles at one point. So I'm glad she just didn't light up. You know, yeah, right but it's there. the 60s. And I feel like they weren't as uh, in tune by then as well. I don't think now. so. I don't <laughs> think so. Probably had some lead paint somewhere on it. Um, about 2,500 hand-sewn crystals and like 6,000 rhinestones on this thing. Bob Mackie done the yeah. done the uh, the sketch of it, right? Um, he was working yeah. under Jean Louis, and and uh, John Louis was doing the he was doing the costumes for something's got to give us as well, right? 
Yeah. Um, so I, obviously, you know, they, Marilyn and, and John Louis were already working together. But I think what's interesting is what you just mentioned, you know, uh, Bob Mackey, who was, yeah. you know, at the time, like 21 years old. Like 22 years old. College. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And he was just like, I mean, I'm not a designer, so I'm not really aware of how the process works, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. But I guess what the what happens is, is the designer describes something to the artist who then sketches mm-hmm. it. But, you know, Bob Mackey actually never sketched until like 50 years later when it went up for yeah. auction. Um, so, and he wasn't actually able to, to own it. I think he redid it, um, at a later date, but okay. obviously Bob Mackey would go on and do quite similar designs for Cher, you know, in the seventies. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's interesting that he was the one who did the, the original sketch, but it, it went to a dressmaker as well, who, who again, yeah. doesn't really get much credit, um, for the actual design of it. Um, so yeah, it's all John Louis, but he was working with her on uh, yeah. the film at the time. I think Bob Maggie even said that when John Louis like described it to him that his his French accent was so thick that he like couldn't he wasn't sure <laughs> that he'd gotten it right because he didn't know what he was exactly saying. Um, but just but like it came naked, out naked. just like just naked, <laughs> just she's naked. That's that's exactly it. And you know what's really interesting about it is like it is she's fairly covered in this dress too. Like her cleavage is isn't yeah. really out. It does the neckline does come to about here. Um, it's really long. Yeah. It's all the way down to her feet. You know her arms are basically out. That's it. It's all it's, illusion, isn't it? it is. And it's, it's it, and it's the skin. To, it's the it's the flesh colored dress. Like that's that's the thing. So if it could have been yeah. in you know a different color, it wouldn't have had the same effect. Which is just going back to Kim Kardashian. That's probably <laughs> one of the reasons why it didn't look as good because it wasn't you know her skin tone is different to what Marilyn's skin tone is. So therefore, it didn't quite have the same effect. But yeah, yeah but this dress she paid like it was like near fifteen hundred dollars for it. Um, I think this entire trip she's this entire trip she spent around like $60,000 to prepare for this trip, to hire people to come with her to for airfare, all of that. I don't think yeah. they paid for any of that, which is weird that they well, wouldn't have. Marilyn definitely paid, so I think it was like $1,440, which is probably yeah. about $1,400, sorry, $14,000 in 2022. Yeah. But there is a rumor that she then charged it back to the Democratic Party for, the, for the event. Rumor, I don't have any facts on that, but there is that rumor, which might make sense considering it's like part of the event, yeah. but she definitely paid it up front. So we know that she paid it. Yeah. Um, she did she like a, it, it was like a $300 like deposit, right? Um, and I think yeah. that later on, I think she did pay the rest of it to herself. I think that might've been a rumor because I have this Julian's auction book behind me and in it, there yeah. is a statement from her, from her financials that say that she paid the rest of it in June. Um, yeah. it, it would have been great for her to charge it back to the Democratic Party. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you know, it, it's it's a lot of money, but it's not crazy. Yeah. If you imagine an event like that, it's what someone might pay for a wedding dress, yeah. for example. And um, Marilyn really wasn't somebody who, you know, had a lavish personal wardrobe. Mm-hmm. So this to her was a real sort of event. So I yeah. imagine she's probably splurged a bit on it. And she, so she comes out, she does happy birthday. Perhaps there has been no one female who meant so much, who has done more. Mr. President, the late Marilyn Monroe.
the reactions and there's so there's such varied reactions too like at first like everybody's really quiet they're not sure what to really say like imagine her walking out there getting cheers and then she takes her thing off and everybody goes quiet and then i'd have fainted i'd have been done i'd, I'd <laughs> this is maybe a bad idea i don't know and the thing is like this is 1962 so we're just coming yeah. out of the 50s which is quite conservative so like it was you know we weren't quite where we would be at the end of the 1960s yeah. like this was quite shocking at the time yeah and so she, her, her co-star in Something's Gotta Give, um, Dean Martin, his wife was there and she was watching. She was supposed to be a really good friend of Marilyn. And she, her quote was, uh, to be quite, uh, to be quite honest, as much as I loved Marilyn, I thought it was the height of distastefulness. Nothing against Marilyn. <laughs> she was being Marilyn doing what Marilyn does. And I think that was, that like perfectly encapsulates probably the, the general thoughts of this of this whole event right and people seeing her do this and people were probably really rolling her eyes rolling their eyes at her and really you know just yeah and she, totally she'd turning been, she'd, been, she, she'd been notoriously um you know hit ever since she started for um yeah. uh you know the way that she dressed i think it was um you know joan crawford that hit out to her in like 90 she, she was at photo play awards i believe in 1953 and she walked in yeah. and she was obviously wearing a skin tight gown and i think joan crawford said something along the lines of i'm paraphrasing you know my tits look great but i don't shove them in everyone's faces so exactly. you know, she was always getting um you know and when you look at some of the outfits actually when that she wore in sort of, you know, the, the early 50s they were pretty revealing um for the yeah. time i mean they had like cleavage outs always like probably two sizes too small so she, that was kind of the reputation that she had really at that time and you know she she knew that right she knew that her body got certain reactions but she wasn't the one who put herself in a movie and decided to dress herself that way, right? Like, people were dressing her this way. People were creating this this blonde Marilyn Monroe character. Um, she just learned how to utilize it, right? But she was always the one that got the backlash. It's kind of like the Britney Spears thing, where, like, Britney Spears was somebody that was, that was put into these outfits, right? And that was kind of, like, initially created, and then... By, by a bunch of grown men and and then yeah. it was always her that was getting the backlash right like if she went and yeah. got a boob job she was getting the backlash for it when there's probably people like recommending this for her um yeah. and it's sort of the same thing with Marilyn and then Marilyn like by the time by this age by her big age she knows how to use this she knows how to use her body right like she knows yeah. which curves are, are the ones to accentuate um 
And I think she'd also had this newfound confidence because she had yeah. lost 25 pounds and she, yes. you know, she was, I think she's like the thinnest that she'd ever been in her adult life. You know, mm-hmm. she did a series of photographs with Bert Stern afterwards, which obviously you can see behind me here. <laughs> um, but, you know, you can tell that it doesn't look like somebody who's uh, not very confident, you know? So mm-hmm. she's, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's probably part of it as well. And just going back to your point about being sewn into the dress, I think, that kind of goes back to the theory that she was, you know, bigger than what she was or she had to be sewn in. But you know what? The dress was bespoke to her. Um, yeah. Where I think the rumor came about being sewn in is just as she was about to go on, there was a slight sag on the bottom and they had to put mm-hmm. some more stitches in it, literally make sure it was skin tight. Um, but yeah, there was a zipper on the back as well. And she was naked, you know, like she didn't wear any underwear yeah. underneath. She didn't want to ruin any of the lines. Like she, she it was fantastic. Absolutely. Fantastic. You don't want it. You don't want to be sat down in that dress. Oh, Definitely no, not. No, no, she <laughs> no, did sit though. She did sit. Kim could not sit in this dress, but Marilyn absolutely sat in this dress. So like she finishes happy birthday and she, she, they, they whisk her off. Um, and JFK comes on stage and I think he says his comment about it. It's like 30 minutes into his like whole speech to God sitting through a JFK speech for 30 minutes. Oh man. Jump out a yeah. window. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I think when he came to her, he said, I can now retire from politics after having happy birthday sung to me in such a sweet and wholesome way. <laughs> wholesome being the underlined word, right? So that was... I but again, was he cute. knew what he was doing. And I think that's, you know, it's just the irony of the situation, isn't it? And actually, yeah. if you think about it, it's just quite, it's all in in, in, in good fun, really. After after the whole the whole uh, event, there's a, there's an after party at, or this is where, where I, what I really wanted to read about, because I knew all about the, the, the happy birthday gala, but I wanted to yeah, read yeah. about Arthur Krim's party. So there's a party at Arthur Krim's house um, in New York, and it's like really closely guarded. So like really only people who are like the big celebrities that were at this gala can get in um, there. There is a photographer there. So this is not a party that would have ever been able to happen like now, right? Everybody's got a phone. Somebody was going to sneak us something, yeah. a, a sort of picture. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, the only photographer there was the president's photographer, um, and he was out, you know, around taking pictures. And the president was okay; he's fine. Um, Mayor, I, I thought it was sweet that Marilyn like shows up with uh, Isadora Miller, her her former yeah, father. father-in-law, <laughs> ex father-in-law. I love yeah, they it. They had though. a really close it's relationship. Nice. Yeah. yeah, and I think you know, she she didn't have um, you know obviously as as people will know like she didn't have a family she didn't she didn't know who her father was yeah. um, uh, I guess officially um, she had some ideas so really she had a good relationship with him and saw him as a father figure so I thought that was cute that she brought him yeah. along it was cute and, and then I obviously love... the chance to the yeah. chance well, to meet the president for him as well and he so he she shows up with him and she like makes sure I think she only speaks to the president for about five minutes anyway right. Um, and there's one picture, there's only one picture in existence of them talking at this party. And you look at it and it looks like, I don't know, see this like paints something for me. It paints a little story for me because it looks like he okay. is recognizing this because this is old cameras. And these cameras like take a second to, you have to hold still. Um, yeah. And it looks like he's turning away. He sees that flash go and he's got, he's like turning his body away. And she's like on either side by, by both brothers and then, uh, you know, a couple other guys around her. But... Uh, I think there. It, do you, I mean? Do you, do you read into that that there was something going on then? You think? I think so. I think so, and I think he recognized. It looks. It looks like he recognized there was a flash going off and just turned his yeah. body real quick to kind of hide his face. 
It's, um, you know, I just think, you know, even if there was something going on, if there was something going on um, yeah. or if there wasn't, the there were certain people at the time politically who were absolutely gunning for the uh, the Kennedys in terms of yeah. trying to pin stuff on them. Um, I know that I think it's Fidel Castro who was trying to really um, nail them for, for something yeah. in terms of just get any dirt that they could get possibly on in America, them. So, like Hoover, Hoover yeah. was absolutely going for him, right? Yeah. So, you know, for... For them to get pictured, you know, a picture says a thousand words and you can string it anywhere. So it's probably likely that they didn't want necessarily yeah. to be posing for photographs together. And in fact, I mean, it was rumored that there was more pictures taken, but obviously it's the president's yeah. photographer. So then how many of them do we see? Yeah, because I don't think the photographer, I think he had to give up the negatives and they took the negatives from him. They said they would give them back and like they never did or something like that. I'm surprised that one even got out, to be honest, after she yeah. died. I'm surprised we even have that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and she's pictured quite a few. T- there's, just, there's like 28 or 29 pictures from this night. And not everybody, like it's really hard to piece together. Like everybody that was there, I think there's like 36, 30-something recognizable people there. Um, there. But she only really speaks to him for about five minutes. I think there's there were a lot of rumors that like they hung out the entire night. They went to a hotel afterwards and all of that. But like that, she really only spoke to him five minutes. She like introduced her former father-in-law. And then she spent the night yeah. with her father-in-law, right? And she like made sure he yeah. always had a chair to sit in. And she was just kind of making sure he had something to eat or, you know, kind of talking with people. And, and, she, and she left with him. You know, there's witnesses yeah. saying that she left with him. So, and I think that goes, uh, you know, there's all these rumors on there that they went into these back room and then they went yeah. back to their hotel. And then, and to be honest with you, I think that's a lot of, that, that, that's not based on anything because actually yeah. what people know is that she went with her father-in-law and she left with him and then she went back to Hollywood yeah. because she had to turn up for work. Got to get right back on, off to work. Um, she, there's a really great picture from, and I, I just saw this for the first time the other day of, a bunch of the party guests at like at the top of the the landing of the stairs and she's kind of like next to the the stairway like and she's just like sitting on a chair she's like obviously exhausted it's like 2 a.m right she's but she looks <laughs> she amazing just, she, and she it's looks just so such good. A, like a, i love the casual photos of her like that right because it is so casual and it's like such a a somebody with an iphone at, at the house party and like saying everybody take a group picture and like marilyn monroe is in the picture you know yeah and it's i think what's interesting about that picture in particular is that the spotlight isn't on her so she's not yeah. being marilyn like she's actually watching somebody else so yeah. it's really interesting watching her watch somebody else yes. um, there's some other yeah. pictures um of uh, i believe it's like quite a famous picture of her and elizabeth taylor and uh, watching frank sinatra and she's mm. just like going for it um yeah. she's like i think by all accounts she was like two sheets to the wind to be fair i think she was quite drunk during that a problem a problem she was she was done with the night so uh yeah. jfk left you know a little bit before too and she left like a little bit after so i think that's probably what started rumors there that and and that I mean, there were already rumors about them, so right. So that's like if they had spoken just for a moment at this party, that there were people were going to say something. But um, yeah, she had she she dropped her father in law off. This last time, her father in law Caesar, you know, she she drops him off yeah. at the elevator at his his place in Brooklyn, and as the elevator doors are closing, she says, "Won't you come back to like California with me?" And he says, oh, maybe later." And like that's the last mm. time he sees her, and that's really sad. But yeah. she she gets back to her apartment. Uh, about 4 a.m. and there's a, her friend is there and she has a masseuse there who gives her a massage before she goes to bed you know and she she there were people who like accounted for where she was they said no, yeah she's like she's yeah. here um yeah and then, that's like, such a movie star thing getting a massage before you go to bed <laughs> is that who does that <laughs> it makes sense it makes sense right everybody does that right after that gala um but yeah. she so and then she she probably didn't even like sleep a whole lot she probably slept for like an hour had to get up and then put it, like you said, put her ass back on a plane because she has to go back. Now, 
she goes back. Uh, she flies back to L.A. on on Sunday, May twentieth, and the very next day she shows up at work, and she is working. She works. They, I think we were talking right before, is that they they really had her working. Like that she finally gets on set. They finally get her on set, yeah. and they have her doing fifty takes with a damn dog or like reshoots with these kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, I, I, have you seen the footage from actually this this? I think it's on the documentary that you mentioned. So yeah. it's really really heavily filtered. She's clearly had. A heavy weekend, yeah. basically. Yes. Um, it's like yeah. going to work a little bit hungover and tired, I imagine. But then, and then they opt to do the shoot, the close-ups of her on that day. I mean, I didn't think that would be the best. So she actually only works for half a day because she yeah. says she's exhausted. So but that, she again, does work, which is like incredible. Yeah. Is that she's like she's there. So I think that after she went to this whole event. It, that reminded her that she's like a baddie. She was reminded of that. She's like, she gets back and she's really feeling herself, whether that affair was real or not with JFK. Like you would go. And if you feel like you've impressed the guy that you're kind of infatuated with, you'd come back and you'd be feeling like some hot shit. Like, Oh, he's going to call in a week. Like, <laughs> he's he's going to, he's going to call. I'm, I'll wait on the call. Cause I know it's coming. And she was feeling herself. And I think that's why she was going to work. That's why she was up and lively. I think that's why she was like ready to go. You know, she, Felt like she was Marilyn Monroe, and she she was reminded, I'm, I'm like a fucking icon here. I'm on this set. This is my movie, you know? And the press had been great to her as well, and that's like one thing that we talked about earlier. You know, they hadn't always been too kind for her. I mean, even like with Let's Make Love, I think someone literally said, um, time to go on a diet. Like, yeah. <laughs> stuff that you just wouldn't be able to say, oh, well, you, mm-hmm. it wouldn't come across very well now. Um, but yeah, I mean, people were saying how amazing she looked, and she did look amazing um, at, at that event. Um, you know, like the whole thing, like the hair, the dress, yeah. the look, it was, uh, yeah. So she's probably riding the high, like you said. Big press moment. And this was like, this was one of the last times that anybody was going to see her at an event like this in the public eye, right? Because she's going to die about yeah. three months later. Um, I think yeah. it was Henry Weinstein that said, because people were still a little bit salty when she got back, right? Like, they, but <laughs> yeah. I think Henry Weinstein said later that, uh, he, he really fucked up that whole situation because what he should have done was go with her, bring a bunch of cameras for their movie and like plaster something's got to give like everywhere and turn this into a press event. And like, why didn't they? That's yeah. It's like talk free about PR. a ball drop. Yeah. Cause yeah. she, she got this press and it really only went to her, you know, they could have promoted this movie. They could have like done all of this stuff really like bolstered her confidence because she gets back. She's ready to film. Um, and then it does get a little bit shaky and she starts, you know, going off a little bit again. And then she gets fired, right? She gets let go yeah. from this movie. Yeah, which was a huge blow for her actually mm-hmm. at the time because, you know, you're almost riding this high um, and then, you know, you get fired. And I mean, I don't really think, yeah. I mean, the only person that I can think of that was really publicly fired from films was probably Judy Garland. And that was 10 years before. And yeah. that was a big, big deal. But, you know, for somebody just to be fired, but also to say that the reason that you're fired is because you're not reliable. You can't, because I believe that the press was saying at the time, well, they were saying to the press at the time that the footage that they'd filmed was actually so bad it was unusable, which yeah. is quite interesting because obviously we've seen that footage now. I mean, I don't think it's terrible. Exactly. Um, I think she looks great, but again, it's another dig that the studio had to be like, you know, we're going to fire you, but we're also going to tarnish your reputation, so you can't mm-hmm. get the work. So she gets back. She gets back from that gala, and she's really feeling herself. So something happened. Either something happened, or something didn't happen that she was hoping was going to happen, and it like really sent her feel, to feeling down in the dumps again, right? Because you don't just like start acting this way because because of nothing you know you're you're feeling something she was depressed she was dealing with depression and nobody was like really helping her with that um 
And so something like hit her right before that. Cause you know, she, she even does this whole pool scene. This pool scene is so iconic. You know, this was Marilyn understanding exactly who she could be and what she looked like. She knew she looked great. She, she's supposed to wear like a nude bodysuit in this. She takes it off. And somebody, somebody <laughs> comes up to her and like, Hey, we can see it. I don't really want to ask. And she's like, don't, don't ask. Which like <laughs> strips it off, throws it off. And they get a photographer in there cause they recognize like they, this is what they should have done with the whole gala, but like they recognize like how good this is and what yeah. a press opportunity this could be it's actually pretty incredible like the in the months leading up to her death how many iconic moments there were that we yeah. reference when you think of marilyn monroe well i think that's also to do with the fact that she was fired so you know yeah. marilyn was really an expert at drumming mm-hmm. up her own publicity so yeah. What I think she kind of almost got that spark back again that she maybe had right at the beginning of her career where she had something to prove because once again, she had something to prove. You know, she needed to prove that she was still working. She was still looking good. Um, And I think that goes, you know, she was doing editorial photography with like George Barris, Bert Stern. She was in Vogue. You know, she was really campaigning. And I think that's why it it has such a lasting impact because the the, the work output in that last six months, I think was great. considering what happened you know absolutely absolutely she really did like you you spot on she knew how to work the press right and she knew how to get the public opinion back in her favor and she does these photo shoots and she does this you know spreading live magazine and then and then everybody's like you guys fired her what what is wrong with you (laughs) and they hire her right back they give her choice of directors they give her more money they give her like they just like throw things at her um and it's ultimately fruitless you know because because she just she just I think it just goes back to the Marilyn Monroe story. I think everybody knew that she was broken, that she was this like really bright light that was that was being crushed and dimmed um, by everybody around her, and there was just nobody there to really like bolster her, and it just didn't end well. Yeah, and I think you know there's a lot. She's such a complex character, and I think there's a lot of things that now we talk yeah. about more openly around you know anxiety, depression, whatever it is that's plaguing her, but also, you know, a chemical dependency that she probably yeah. didn't understand because let's be honest, I'm not a doctor, but the, the, the stuff that she had on nightstand could probably like knock out about oh, five yeah. Marilyn's, you know, you don't want to have that kind of stuff just um, knocking around the house and, and be taking it at the levels that she was taking it because it's not going to end well. Yeah. And there weren't people who really were, I don't think the people around her understood that either because they were prescribing it all to her. They were giving her all this stuff in, in such heavy doses. Um, that it was always going to end end poorly at that point. Um, so she she passes away on August fourth, nineteen sixty two. She at least she'd gotten hired again, right? She'd like regained her public favor. Yeah. And, I, and I think, but. I don't think that she would ever have, you know, been re, I don't think her career would have been over at that point. Um, no. I think it would have been really interesting to see where her career would have gone. Um, and I think that's part of what, well, for me, definitely mm-hmm. keeps me kind of really, fr- that kind of frustration. I know it's horrible because, you know, ultimately yeah. someone has died, but, you know, it's kind of like, well, what could have been next? I would have loved to have seen what that decade would have been for her. And people do that all the time, right? Like the the, the legends who die too soon. I, like, and I hate the speculation of like, oh, well, I bet this person would have been doing this at this time. Well, they, they died. We don't we don't know that. It's, it's not fair to speculate yeah. on that, but we're going to do it for a second. Um, what do you think? Where do you think she'd have gone? <laughs> Yeah, well, well, first of all, I think she would have got, she would have made the film. I think she would yeah. have gone, made, probably made another one or however many she had left for Fox. And then I think she would have become an independent agent and she would have had much more choice around the projects that she chose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, I hate to keep comparing it to Elizabeth Taylor because they are very different, but it was a very similar time. But it's a Elizabeth, fair comparison, though. <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor's film choices following her break from the studio system sometimes were quite questionable. Uh, moving into the 60s, I think it was a really weird time for cinema 
cinema as well with obviously yeah. if you think about Marilyn as well at her age so she was 35 so it's like how long could she have kept that kind of sex pot kind of yeah. thing going as as also we were you know Hollywood was becoming more and more desensitized so you know a nudity was kind of being more acceptable she was almost like a decade too early really not yeah. necessarily that that's what she had to do I also think she would have probably looked to do more serious uh, work. I mean, she was in conversations to do a, a production of Rain um, the year before Something's Got to Give, which was supposed to be directed by Lee Strasberg and it was going to be on the TV. NBC, I believe, picked it up. But then because of uh, she wanted Lee Strasberg to direct and then NBC were like, no way, he's, he's not yeah. your director. <laughs> um, so again, I think that kind of gives us some inkling as to what she would have done. The Misfits is, I think... Um, it's the biggest it's, uh, like indicator, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's not. Is it is it a great film? I I, no. I like it because she looks different and it's a bit of a departure. But I think the film is quite bland, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but she is really good in it. She she is good for for the circumstances as well, right? Because like she was showing up and like she was there was chemical dependency, right? Like she was slurring a yeah. little bit. They did have to like put it in black and white because she she didn't. Well, great. she was going she through got- a div- she was going for a divorce, and she'd yeah. actually and and let's make love and um, the misfits were actually filmed back to back. I believe there was literally like you filmed one film and then yeah. just got on a plane and went straight to do another. She'd also had an affair with um, her co-star on Let's Make Love, so obviously her marriage had dissolved. In it was in the desert, it was on location, so yeah, it's probably a bit of a tough time. But what do you what do you think would have happened? Where do you think she would have gone? Uh, I do think that I, I I do think that movie, The Misfits, was was a great indicator on what she could do. And I think yeah. she probably would have gotten a few more chances, pulled a few more chances to do something like that. She was already kind of having money troubles. So like she wasn't like deep in a hole or anything like that. But I mean, at the time that she died, I think one of her accounts was overdrawn. Like, I think she, she would have had a lot of money she, problems later. Yeah. And she wasn't, she wasn't, um, well, I think she was massively underpaid basically yeah. for what she, what she, yeah. so she wasn't living the life that say, I don't know, like Jane Mansfield was living with that pink mansion or whatever, whatever she yeah. had, you know, the house that she actually bought was quite, um, I don't want to say, it was, I mean, it was, it was small, but obviously it's in, it's in quite an expensive area. So yeah. I don't imagine it was kind of like a little shop. It wasn't a mansion, know? you know, it no. was a normal, like we have to, we have to, we have to put into context, like the, the place, everybody already knows that. Okay. You just have to fill that in for yourself, but it was a normal, like family home, you know, yeah. a couple bedrooms, a little bit bigger than like your average home, but like it was, it was not this big mansion and it was on quite a small piece of land as well. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's quite similar to the, uh, the so the house that Judy Garland died in was actually everyone always writes it up as this really crappy little flat, but you know what? It's just behind Harrods in Chelsea, which is like the most expensive place for real estate yeah. in, in probably in the world. So you got to take that into consideration. But yeah, I, I um I, I think she was also very generous. Um, yeah. I think she um she was quite ex- known to be quite extravagant with gifts not necessarily overly extravagant but really really generous um and i think she just lives to her means to be honest with you yeah um yeah i think yeah i i I don't know i think she would have always continued having problems with men uh i think i think it would have been a bumpy road it probably would have been a bumpy like next decade or so i think yeah she would have still been trying to prove herself and it wouldn't have been until like the late 60s or early 70s that people would have started taking her seriously i don't think people were ready for that i don't think that uh, she was confident enough to really like take her own self as seriously as she wanted to do. Like she wasn't there yet, you know, it was still an uphill journey and I think she was still going up, up and up and up. Um, and then she, yeah, she sadly passed. She, I thought 
all of this was really interesting though i, I always find like, these details interesting it's like what happens to this whole estate right because she wasn't married yeah. she didn't have yeah, kids yeah. she had her mother which was she was obviously going to be taken care of until the day she died and she so, had like, a half sister as well yeah um which she, again she she did actually include in her will and they did they, they, she was in one of her address books but again yeah. another testament to marilyn's character is she was very um i guess protective over those people in her family yeah. that didn't necessarily want to be famous um so she was quite private in that sense and also it didn't i hate to say this but it didn't also fit into her narrative of being kind of like the orphan yeah. girl that she kind of made not she kind of elaborated on in the press so she was always like to be seen as someone who was quite isolated um, yeah. as part of her image but yeah um, she had a sister but she wasn't actually obviously it was left to lee strasberg wasn't it yeah, I think like bits and pieces were going to just anybody. It seemed like she was so grasping for, for some sort of connection with people that anybody who had given her that connection in the last maybe five years, they got a little piece of something. And then the Strasburgs, like Lee Strasberg, got the bulk of her estate, including yeah. this JFK dress. He got yeah. the JFK dress. Um, Paula Strasburg died in, I think – was it either 67 or 69? And sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. And so he remarried somebody. And when he died, Anna Strasberg, his, his third wife, auctioned it off in 1999, right? Like she's like, what am I going to do with the Marilyn Monroe dress? Uh, it, was, it wasn't even just the dress, it was like all her wardrobe. Like everything. Like Sign the yeah. garage. Like, well, I don't need this. Um, yeah. it's, it's interesting how, you know, I think one thing to point out is, you know, Marilyn was 36 when she died. Yes, yeah. she had a will in place, but she probably wasn't expecting to die. She, no. um, so these. I imagine whilst, you know, to some degree they were probably thought out to an extent, like she probably didn't really think about, or she probably hoped she would have a child or a husband at some point to then yeah. leave it to. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I believe in the will that it said that it was her personal belongings, but she left it to hit, uh, Lee Strasberg as executor yeah. of the will to decide who then that would obviously be, get given to. Yeah. I also think she was probably the person that the type of personality that really wanted people to like her. I mean, yeah. we already know that, right? So she was probably telling all of this. She was probably putting people in the will because she was telling them that in real life, right? She like, they would do something nice for her. And she probably said, you know what? I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you something. And then she'd go and yeah. like, t like phone up a lawyer real quick, you know, while she was on a glass of wine in the bathtub or something. <laughs> um, and I, I have a feeling like that's why there were so many like a psychoanalyst was on the list or like, you know, there's a bunch of just random people on there. Um, yeah. And it's, it's really sad because she didn't have like, you know, there was nobody listed there. There was just like close friend, you know, or, or. Yeah. Yeah. Or like know. maid or what, you know, but I, I think she, she did make sure that her mother was taken care of. She made, yes. she, she gave her sister like $10,000, which obviously at that time was a super yeah. substantial amount of money. Um, and yeah, I think also you got to think, does she really see the value in like one of her old lipsticks going to somebody? No. <laughs> right? Because it's, it's like, we think, uh, we, we think of things like outfits we're seeing now, right? Like that, yeah. that uh, Blake Lively Met Gala dress, right? Yeah. It's, it's probably worth thousands. It's probably worth like a lot, a lot of more money than I could ever afford, but you know, who knows what, how much that's going to be in the future, right? Her singing happy birthday in this new dress. She, she did, she did that for her own like selfish reasons, right? That wasn't an yeah. investment property, but yeah. it, beca it quickly became an investment property. You know, it, 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 it it's and just I, really I, hard to predict which of those 
these it's, it's things. really hard. Yeah. I think a lot, of, lot of the, a lot of the value on these items is just purely yeah. because she owned them. So actually, the value to her was probably like minimal. If you yeah. think, right, one of her like poochy blouses that she might have paid, I don't know, like twenty dollars <laughs> for. Do you reckon she really cared who that went to in her will? But actually, yeah. now that could probably fetch like two hundred thousand dollars at auction, and it's Listen, um, she probably I was going wasn't these thinking catalogs, that catalogs, and they're just like full of the most random crap, like a, a receipt she'd used in Mexico or something, like you know. And thousands, thousands it's going for. What do you think? What do you think? Good question. <sighs> what do you think, like in the last 10 years, maybe 20 years, is is uh, an item in celebrity pop culture that is going to really go up in value in the future? I don't know. You know, it's probably something that Lady Gaga would have done, like a meat dress. It's going to be something like really, uh, <laughs> mind you, that's all of not, Britney's not costumes in, in 2015 or 16, like all of her like iconic outfits, those sold for like $100,000 as a lot, you know? Imagine how, how how much that's going to go for. Yeah, but it's about it's also about having the foresight to understand, you know, time. Yeah. So I think a big thing that stands out was uh, in, I think it was 1970 when the studios were like auctioning off all yeah. of their old costumes. So like Debbie Reynolds was trying to save a lot of that content by buying it. And she was buying things like the dress oh, yeah. and the bars or like, just buying, <laughs> she was actually getting them like, they were giving it to her. They were just she like, just taking it. fucking the, taking it too, man. She yeah, was getting she, it. She, she literally pulled a truck up to MGM and was yeah. like, load it up. And, um, whatever you want, whatever, just. Anything. Yeah, yeah. And th there wasn't that foresight to see any value, and I think sometimes it's only now. I mean, Hollywood in particular has always been pretty shit at preserving itself. Um, it can't even preserve its own films from like the silent era, to be honest. And it doesn't really like there should have been a Hollywood museum set up again that Debbie yeah. Reynolds was trying to do, but it, it couldn't get financing. Isn't that crazy? Like, yeah. how can something like that not get financing? But yeah, it's a it's it's a difficult one. But anything Marilyn in particular, I mean, it's just. I can't believe that dress sold for $5 million. I mean, what's yeah. it going to be worth Incredible. in another 20 years? Incredible. Like in 1999, it sold even even for $1.26 million. You know, that that still is an incredible amount for a dress, for a dress. And then, you know, sells for almost $5 million. Damn. Um, and so it is, It the, the value is going to go up. I really am like a little shaky on like Ripley's owning this because clearly they're not, they're not... I I'm going I'm going to LA next year actually I've always wanted to go and have been yeah. um but I've seen like the display and it looks like so tacky it's yeah. like you can take a selfie with the dress um I don't know uh, yeah it's it's not great I don't I've never been to a Ripley's believe it or not have you yeah no no I think you know what I, I've been to like the beach and on it's like on the boardwalk or something like that. You know they have it at like it's like a fun house sort of thing, and that really is what it is. And it's, it is really tacky because I think they have the Ripley's, believe it or not, like sign right behind the dress too. So it's like it's just it a dress that sells for five million dollars and is like the one of the pinnacles of like American iconography. I don't understand how that falls into <laughs> Ripley's hands. Yeah. You know? it's, uh, it's like the Ruby slippers. I mean, I know they sold for like something crazy. I can't Goodness, remember the exact yeah. amount now, but they got stolen. Uh, Somebody's got the thing. bitches. Somebody's got yeah. them, right? Somebody's... Somebody ran off wearing them. <laughs> there is that, that jumpsuit back there. That um, So that was created for that specific concert that she was going to have, right? That was going to air on HBO. And it was only for that show. And somebody stole it right before uh, she was going to go on stage and, and so somebody's got it and it's always like this, the stolen items always like fascinate me. Cause I'm like, yeah, one who has it and like, when is it going to resurface? Cause it's going to resurface somewhere.
I just imagine someone sat at home wearing it thinking like no one knows where this is. <laughs> I'm not just stretching that out a little bit, you know. It's me. It's it's in my closet. <laughs> it's gonna say it's under your shirt. <laughs> um yeah, it is I don't know. This this dress really did have like such an impact on on our society and culture, you know. It's something that we still talk about and and whether you like that Kim wore it or not, she brought that conversation, the conversation about the dress back into public consciousness because nobody is shutting up about it, you know? I mean, my God, I, my Facebook feed, because I follow a lot of Marilyn yeah. groups and people, I mean, to the, I actually stopped reading it after a while because people were like losing their shit. They were, and it's they like, were. look, I get it. And I just think from a preservation perspective, it shouldn't have been treated. Let's assume that that even is the real dress, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, she's... Um, She's kind of brought the conversation of Marilyn back up again, and I guess maybe that's the power of. Well, I think there's a really important conversation happening too about. I actually have a quote here that I screenshotted um, about like preserving historic pieces of costume, right? So, um, Sarah Scaturo, chief conservator of the Cleveland Museum of Art has said, I'm frustrated because it sets back what is considered professional treatment for historic costume. In the 80s, a bunch of costume professionals came together to state a resolution that historic costume should not be worn. So my worry is that colleagues in historic costume collections are now going to be pressured by important people to let them wear the garments. And I think that's a very valid concern. I think that's probably where we're going to be headed soon, you know? Yeah, and I just think, you know, they can produce really decent replicas um, and have yeah. conversations and pay tribute to someone, but they don't have to walk around in the actual piece. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it doesn't shock me, and I'm sure we'll probably see it again. Probably, probably. But um, yeah, so this was a whole conversation about the dress, about Marilyn, just like little bits and pieces here. I'd love to do like a full series on her. I, I, I think that would be so fun, but it's just like, where do you start? How do you like track it? What timeline do you put together? You know? Yeah. It's all, and like also, <laughs> how do you like cover stuff that hasn't, because the thing is with Marilyn, right? You know, her story's yeah. been told and retold and retold. So it's, I always try, when, when I've done, I, I did an episode on her 60s film work on my podcast and I was trying to look at things that maybe people might not know um yeah. as such but that's really really hard with someone like marilyn um yeah. so i think it's really good to kind of pinpoint specific times or a specific item like we've just done mm -hmm. there and um look at that in a bit more detail yeah no i completely agree um and i'd like to do more things like that in the future so i think we'll wrap it up here do you want to let everybody know where they can find you yeah, of course. I mean, I'm really most active on Instagram. Um, so it's the Valley of the Dolls underscore pod. Um, I usually post various different pictures on there. Um, I do have some more episodes coming up in the next few months, uh, but I need to uh, pull my finger out so to speak on those and actually get them recorded and <laughs> uploaded because being, do, doing a podcast when you're not in lockdown is uh, is hard when you try to do real life. And you, and you want to cover things that, that you find really interesting. And I fucking love old Hollywood, but I cannot pigeonhole myself in old Hollywood. Like, uh, I'm really trying not to keep doing that. But like all of the, all of the episodes in my list are like old Hollywood, old Hollywood, old Hollywood, you know, yeah, yeah. found out Catherine Hepburn's a lesbian. I never knew that. Um, oh, well, you know, I heard that, but I think it's pretty obvious. Really. It. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> she, she did wear the pants, you know, she got the pants going. She, I, just... she, she wore the sandals and the socks as well. So, uh, sandals, socks and pants. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paul, for coming on. I really appreciate you coming on, talking about Marilyn's dress with me. Um, everybody go check out Valley of Dolls podcast. I think your your latest episode was about Marilyn, right? Yeah, well, I mean, so there's a couple of talk in about it. it twice in a row now. No, there's so much to talk about with Marilyn, though. But yeah, my latest episode was about her. Um, I had yeah. an older episode looking at her 60s film work, so check that out as well. Yeah. Um, but there'll be definitely be some more Marilyn content coming. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching. I'll see you next time.